Hello everybody, my name is Neil White and from Backpage this is the big interview with Graham Hunter. It's part two of our November Q&A where we get questions from our socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and our sponsors Bet365 and Graham Hunter answers them. He is in Madrid today. This is 24 hours after we recorded part one and last night was at quite the football match. Graham, how, how was it? If you're referring to, because I have to, I have to file through my memories. Um, if you're referring to Real Madrid two, um, Paris Saint Germain two, it was um, exceptional in many ways. In that, that's the best that Real Madrid have played. I think. Well, certainly in the Champions League um, since they went to Juventus in April um, last year and thumped Cristiano Ronaldo's Juve three 0 no, 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 Cristiano wasn't there then. It was when Cristiano scored that extraordinary overhead kick. They won 3-0 and they struggled in the in the return leg. But overall, um, this was uh, a match where the unity and the fitness and the intensity of players we already knew to be highly skilled shone through. Um, little cameos because it's not the central part of today's Q&A, but it's nice to be fresh. Little cameos were that nobody expected Isco to start and he played fantastically well with enormous athleticism and energy, the, the likes of which we've not seen since Luis Enrique was in charge of Spain the first time and Isco was a central part of that Spain side. Um, again, we knew about his passing and dribbling skills and his ability to find space and then do things that really matter to the team with that space if he's given the ball. But the shift he put in, Neil, was emblematic of... I mean, for example, I interviewed Tony Cruz afterwards and he was like, look, we, you're, you're right about what you're saying about the, 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 the pressing and the ball winning and then the speed of movement of the ball. He said, you can't do that only when you're fit. You need to be... You need to be hugely confident as a team in each other. You need to be working as a unit. And he pointed out that this has been coming for weeks, this level of performance. And I agree with him. Um, another really surprising uh, part of the night was that Paris Saint-Germain didn't exhibit their normal level of threat. And um, I, I would call it... European maturity in that they had certain weapons I think pace against Marcelo for example when Mbappe was playing on that side of the pitch that they they didn't use often there was one big big chance where Mbappe shot from an angle that he was off balance and the angle was too acute and Icardi was right in the middle I don't think that's a, a marriage made in heaven in terms of their body language how they talked to each other how they combined and I, I was really privileged in that at the end of the match I had a significantly long um, interview chat with Tuchel who was really strong in saying we um, we played a bad game we, we we didn't accept taking important risks we made poor decisions um, by half time this was a hang on in their game and yeah we, our attitude was that we, you know we, we stuck to it and we were there to, to do something at the end but he said, that's not the game I want to see us playing. And, and time after time, when Paris Saint-Germain players came out and talked to us uh, in the flash zone, they were saying, we can't perform like that again. 
and so the 2-2 result looks very, very good for Paris Saint-Germain because it means they're unbeaten against Real Madrid this season. It guaranteed them group leadership and it showed that the the fighting spirit, there's a real, they are injected with a we're going further than the quarterfinals. That was the mantra uh, post-match. But Tuchel didn't like his team's performance. I thought Neymar was remarkable in so many aspects. Um, in that he's changed physically. You can see the lack of game time. You can see a slight a slight slight morphing of, of body shape, I, I think. But the team responded as if they'd been electrified when he came on. They trust him. They give him the ball. He does special things. And overall, given the atmosphere, it, it was just a, a remarkable cocktail of the elements you want in a big European night. And bloody hell, when Valverde plays, Madrid play, when Valverde comes off, <clears throat> they lose two goals. <laughs> I think there's a conclusion to be drawn there. It is a little link to our first socio question. It's an audio question. When we ask our socios every month four questions for these shows, we ask them specifically, if they can, to record themselves asking questions so they can be part of the show. So here's Richard Cosmala with his... Hi Graham, it's Richard Cosmala. Hope you're well, pal. I just want to talk about the media coverage in Spain. It's really shocked me kind of staying here for the last month. How many channels, how many programmes debating the same things, just ridiculous kind of narratives. I'm probably talking about the Gareth Bale situation. It's relentless. We're not talking even at night. It's during the day. Obviously, you've got all the papers and everything is just crazy. You're closer to the players than we are. So I suppose a general question is, do the players listen to any of this stuff on the radio, watch TV, do they read the papers? Anyone you can maybe mention from the past who's kind of take notice of it and kind of fired back in press conferences because it's tantamount and bullying some of this stuff and I think it's absolutely disgusting. Honestly, the polls and everything. I, if I were Gareth Bale, I'd be nowhere near the TV. Well, super cause. Um, thank you for the message and um, I really am sad that during your odyssey, um, of Spanish football travel, about which La Liga is still a buzz. Make no mistake, fellow socios, um, RK uh, ran the length and breadth of our beautiful country and visited probably in a month or so as many football grounds as I've had in my career. Um, this man is a super, super Spanish football addict. Um, Ricardo, as we like to call you here in Iberia, um, either I see you in, in, in the UK or in here in Spain next time because, boy, my uh, admiration for you goes up. And I, I, I agree with you. So in order, almost every player will tell you, I don't listen to that. I don't watch that. It doesn't matter to me. And, and Richard, in my career, that's an experience which transcends writing about Scottish football, which I did uh, Premier League football and, and the elite clubs in England playing in Europe, which I did from the mid-90s um, onwards, still sometimes do. And Spain. Um, and normally they're not telling the truth. They very rarely go and consume football media as um, enthusiastically or sometimes, to use the word again, addictively as, as we all do. But people tell them. Um, word seeps back to them family, friends, fellow teammates, an agent. It's almost unheard of that a footballer isn't aware of or actually 
knows detail about the buzz that's around him for good or for bad. Not many of them actually have the time to spend soaking up the wide range of media, which in this country can range from the very, very, very good, well-informed to ridiculous stuff, pantomime stuff that um, drives me completely scatty with their bullying, with their unnecessary hyperbole, with their um, ego. That's a really important word, Richard, to, to talk about the many of those uh, football TV programs that you witnessed over here um, are driven by the rampant ego of the participants. And I, I, you know, having known some of them individually and having glimpsed at some of their content over the years, I won't watch it now. So I agree with you, Gareth Bale shouldn't. Gareth is a different individual, a really unusual individual, one that I struggle to um, warm to in terms of um, his personal decision-making, um, exactly how he uses these enormous talents that have been bundled together um, and put at his disposal. Um, when you say personal decision-making, Graham. Yeah. Well, look, for example, I, I've never claimed in all my career or in any of my friendships um, to have an elite mentality. And had I been born with Gareth Bale's um, physical attributes, athleticism, football talent, then I have got no doubt that occasionally I would say, yeah, I'm going to go out, I'm going to celebrate this or that, or I'm going to, I can manage to do that little bit of sleep here. And I wouldn't have lived like Jimmy Johnson rowing the, the boat out at, at Seamill and disappearing off into the, into the Atlantic. And, I wouldn't have lived like George Best and gone crazy and, you know, seen my career drift away at 28, 29. But occasionally I would have said, I'm going to take, I'm going to accept this risk and bust out of a bit of pressure. What I would not have done, what I know if I'd been lucky enough to be gifted with what Bale has, I wouldn't be out playing golf, a sport which will be with me for another 40 years after I retire, when playing golf repeatedly, you know, incessantly, addictively, um, at a point when it, it's clearly incompatible with the massive, massive demands of physical recuperation, um, reconditioning after the the, the sort of thousands of miles of travel every week, the the intense practice, the need to be physically and mentally fresh. Now, mentally fresh, I can understand that an elite footballer who plays a little bit of golf might come back to a training session or a football match a little bit with his, his mind cleared. But um, we knew already, Roma did patently know, and we had on this series recently, um, Don Hutchison talking about what was always drilled into... Um, him and other players about the way in which a three and a half or four round, hour round of golf changes the, the, the fast release muscles that tires out certain muscles that can then be more prone to um, either strains or injuries. And, and I looked at the numbers the other day and Gareth Bale has played, you know, I think it's over 500 um, senior matches and he's 30. 
So I'm not being condemnatory, but you asked me what I meant about personal choices. And I think that if with minor adjustments in his life outside football and with minor adjustments like determinedly learning 50 or 60 more Spanish words and occasionally using them in a press conference or occasionally using them in in a one-on-one interview with the Spanish media, um, he would have been pestered less. Fans would appreciate him more. The conditions in which he works that Richard's referring to would be more fertile if he played much less golf. I think his injury record would have been significantly lower because if you strip all those things away and really only look at the skeleton of his um, career in Spain, it has been exceptional. And you know, Neil, and Richard has learned, and so has everybody, that I'm, I'm a very hungry, competitive, aggressive person. And Bale, irrespective of people being able to point to the magnificence of his achievements, Bale said, I want to be a Ballon d'Or winner. And that was within his grasp, even in an era of Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi. And principally, he has been, or he's been a, a principal part of his own problems that have prevented what is already an extraordinary career of achievement being significantly more impactful. So, um, Richard, I, I will say to you that um, you're right in what you said, that he should be nowhere near the television, that he should be careful about what he listens to. But there are three quick points. One, um, his teammates still know that an inf- uh, informed fit Gareth Bale will help them win. And they are, while they're not necessarily close to him, they want him ready and playing or coming off the bench. Secondly, I was at uh, Bernabeu last night and while the whistling was down on the weekend when he came on, it was there. But I watched 95% of the Bernabeu urgently, desperately trying to find something to applaud when he put effort in. The the majority of the fans feel the way the players do. Um, We'll take Hugh Warts and all. And the third thing, finally, he's at a club which hasn't helped the situation. Real Madrid are not geared towards saying, we understand you, you strange old maverick, you. And that has definitely exacerbated the situation and the way in which he's covered by the media, sometimes, sometimes, Richard, at Real Madrid's behest. Okay, and I'm just going to follow up very quickly because Richard asked about players ever blasting back. So without mentioning the words Pep Guardiola and which camera is his, is there another example of, of anybody in Spanish football? I, I've, I've seen, there's a guy I can barely um, remember the name of. What, what um, come on, come on, Graham. Oh, it was me. Um, who was called out by that English guy, famous, I don't know, free kicks, David Beckham. So, for example, yeah, when during World Cup 98, I wrote a piece which is very condemnatory of Glenn Hoddle and his treatment of Beckham and the build-up to the England... I'm, I'm, I'm very keen to say Tunisia. It might have been Morocco. The opening game of England's World Cup in 1998, Beckham was treated atrociously. It really impacted him. I watched him sitting there on the bench, barely interested in the national anthem, looking, you know, a massive dark cloud over his head during the match. 
And I wrote about this and I knew why it had happened and the way that Hoddle had been treating Beckham in training. And I said, this is undermining a key asset. And somebody in the newspaper put um, a, a sulky spice um, headline on it. And the Beckham family read as far as the headline. And during a press conference, Beckham went, who's Graham Hunter? And I was like, I am. And he went, you don't know me, don't judge me. And... Um, even though he misinterpreted like by 180 degrees what I was trying to say um, and it subsequently was clear that he hadn't read the piece and I spoke to his dad about it and we made our piece. I liked the fact that if there was something he didn't like he spoke out about it. There are, um, I have seen and I've been present at a number of times when a player or a manager will say your, your media outlet or you um, I've crossed a line, either you get out or I do, or I'm not talking to them. And in general, we're in an era when there's too little fertile communication between clubs, managers, players, and reliable media, and therefore banning them or shunning them is something to be avoided. I actively back the choice of a football professional who feels that they have been repeatedly wronged or that somebody is taking liberties to go in that the, the confrontation should be sought out and there should be measures taken because that will bring our industry into line. And um, like you, Richard, if I were bail, um, I, I wouldn't be for banning. I'd be for pointing them out and I'd be for highlighting what I thought they were doing incorrectly and I'd be front foot. Great. Okay, listen, two questions coming up roughly connected by the theme of um, real or possible UK exports to Spain. And the first comes from Derek Johnson. It contains a couple of Scots terms that I'm just going to let stand. And um, we might have to give a little bit of a background. Let's try it. Derek says, forget that he has had a few banjos with your big Haddy McKenna, Graham. But do you believe, as I do, that Alfredo Morelos would actually be more suited to La Liga than the English Premier League. I think he would really kick on for a Valencia or even at a push at Leti. So before we begin, I believe your big haddie would be Scott McKenna, Aberdeen's very promising young centre-back. And the player to whom Derek is referring is Alfredo Morelos, Rangers 23-year-old Colombian centre-forward, who I hope most of you are aware of, but some of you may not be. So this is season three in Scotland for Alfredo. He uh, he was sent off five times last season, and it probably could have been more, but he still scored 31 goals for club and country. So far this season, he's on 22 from 27 games. No reds so far. Um, Graham, Alfredo Morelos for La Liga? Editorially, hello, socios. I do love working with people who include a question from a Rangers legend, a Rangers legend who won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1972, <laughs> uh, with whom Jonathan Northcroft and I formed three quarters of a brilliant Scottish media backline in the infamous, much-loved Luton Lizards, who beat an England media select 3-2 at Euro 96 when they had Mark Bright, current Premier League player at that time, for Sheffield Wednesday up front, and he did not score. And Big GJ um, played... a. Astonishingly, um, and I completely reassessed his talent level. And um, I'm sure it's the same Derek, although the surname is spelt differently, spelt like Willie Johnson. So, DJ, hello. 
Morelos um, has annoyed me at times. He seems to have a magnetic attraction to the turf, um, particularly when somebody is within a couple of feet of him. But his ability stands out. Um, I haven't enough time um, to consistently watch Morelos. He's better than a buffalo, let me put it like that. But I do understand that where the Apodo nickname came from in that he's a barger. And I like the fact that he is, um, when he's not tumbling unnecessarily, I like the fact that he is physically completely happy to be mixing it in that league because that's no small feat. And talking about his small feet, I like the fact that he's got quite a range of finishes, in, in my opinion. He produces um, angular, diagonal finishes in situations where I don't think I've seen things that mark him down as elite, elite yet. But he finishes in a way which suggests that it's not like uh, a blunderbuss idea about the more I put stuff on in and around the goal just by numbers, statistically, uh, some will go on target and, and, and sometimes the keeper won't get there. I have a much higher regard for the timing and the angles of his finishing in general. He also seems to me to be somebody with what we've always called a nose for goal that it doesn't matter if he's in a particularly clear um, space. His ability to, to know what to do to get the ball goalwards, I think also stands out. And therefore, if DJ's um, point is that he'd be playing in a less physical league in Spain, that he'd be playing, you know, with due respect to the way that Steven Gerrard has changed Rangers because he has, he would likely, in DJ's scenario, um, well, indefinitely in DJ's scenario, if he's playing with Atleti and Valencia, he'd be playing with better footballers. And would he cut it? Yes. I think the drive of Derek's idea is would he be better in La Liga than in the Premier League? Uh, yeah, I'm not 100% certain about that. He'd be better paid in the Premier League. I think he would garnish the teams. You, t you talk about um, Valencia and Atleti, and I think that it goes further than that because, you know, Betis, are, Betis is a situation where they're crying out for goals. And he would become the divine leader at that club because there are elements of the football which are, which is is pretty good. And although, you know, they're amassing just about enough goals to keep ahead above water, Borja hasn't functioned there. Um, Lauren Moran is looking for a partner. And, and I'm just using them as an example. And the fans, Morales would enjoy, very much enjoy that atmosphere at Villarreal. Um, we're just about to see, I think, the end of uh, Baca's frontline usefulness. And, and I think there are things about Baca and Morelos which I find comparable. And, and therefore, beyond Atleti and Valencia, you could easily list a host of clubs whereby Morelos, at his age, with his turn of pace in, in certain situations, particularly if he's, if he's just getting away from a centre-half, I, I think that it's now clearly down to whether Rangers have got the financial muscle or the bollocks to hold on to him um, because he's patently ready. And um, I do agree with your contention that you could name five, six of the leading clubs um, at uh, in, in La Liga where he'd fit 
and where probably his career would kick on. So, um, as far as the Buffalo Soldier is concerned, um, from Aberdeen's point of view, and, and poor old Scott McKenna's point of view too, yeah, sell him, get him over here as quickly as possible, and everybody else that might score against us. Up at Andy's. We get there in the end, so shows almost every single time. Um, Mark, another uh, import-export question. Mark Young asks, why haven't any recent managers from the UK made an impression on La Liga of the current crop of UK managers? Who would you say would be a good fit in Spanish football? And I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, but since John Toshak last left Real Madrid... The role of dishonor looks a bit like Coleman, Moyes, Neville, Adams. Am I missing anybody? None of them really see out a full season in charge. Moyes is there for a calendar year, but not a full football season. So what's the requirement for a British manager going into La Liga, Grim? And are there any currently working that you think would be a particularly good fit? Yeah, Mark, I, I guess you know the answer. Um, from your own intelligence and from things that I've pointed out before. But um, John Benjamin Toshak um, speaks very, very good Spanish, um, can make himself understood very easily. Many, many years after he was last in charge, which was just at the, the turn of this millennium. Um, so that's a long time ago, and yet his Spanish is still very good. The footballers who triumphed here predominantly, and I say predominantly, um, learned Spanish, which was at least serviceable. And, you know, it's fundamental that when you change culture, you learn the language, because that will engender a respect, as opposed to a lack of respect. It isn't simply, oh, well, you're one step off neutral by learning the language. The pendulum swings full 180 degrees because you will be disrespected if you are here to do a professional job, irrespective of the talents that brought you here. Bale's an example. You will be disrespected if you if you don't at least learn to function. And what Gary Neville's um, sort of post-match, his Monday Night Football analysis of his own career here um, indicates is that if you've got... Um, and I'm talking about widely now, not just him. If you've got ability, experience and communicative powers and you reduce the batteries on all of those by 85%, you're a lesser quality, you're a lesser talent. And he didn't have the language, hard though he and his brother Phil tried to to cram and to learn quickly. Um and I think Phil was more successful at that, although they were equally dedicated to it. You, you, it's just, you know, you you wouldn't take in any other industry a person and say, listen, they can do this other job, but working at, you know, minus 85% capacity. So th- there's very little that separates the elite managers in Britain, the elite UK managers across Britain, and their counterparts here, except for two principal things, um, language skills. In other words, you must be able to maximize your ability by using um, Spanish to, to communicate, even to international players who've come here 
and who, like Tony Cruz, still prefer to work in uh, German or English. Cruz has Spanish, functions well, but prefers to express himself in languages he's sure of. Most footballers will do that. But dressing rooms are run by the dominant idiom. And, and that's the principal failing of managers here. There are, there, there's a confetti of other things that you need to grab onto. So in other words, in Britain, we don't always, in fact, we rarely release squads. Who's fit, who's not. You have to end up fishing around to work out who's going to be in a match day squad. In Spain, clubs almost always do a favour to um, the media by saying, here's the match squad. And that keeps the media happy. It's like throwing a crumb. They write about that for a day before the match or a couple of days sometimes before the match. And the players and the manager get left a little bit alone. There are many, many other things. But the second part of the point I wanted to make was the thing that separates the majority of the Spanish school from the majority of the elite UK managers is that the, the coaching badges here are taken sooner, they're taken, I think, much more seriously. And while the modernisation of UK football means that the gap is diminishing, Spanish football coaches in my working lifetime have tended to be far more literate strategically and tactically, far more flexible and, and far more able to work with a squad without the sort of um, old army, you do what you're told, um, idea that was that has been predominant in in the UK during your and my and um, Mark's lifetime, Neil. So those things. And if I picked a name, we we've met him and we've talked to him. Eddie Howe patently fits into the template of everything I see here of managers of his age, um, what they, how they want to run the club, how they want to run the squad, what their ideas are about how the match should be played, what their flexibility is. And he's also patently got the dedication to, to learn a foreign language. I think there are others, and I think there will be many, many more as we move forward from this season because many of the young, well-trained um, ex-footballers are... I grew up watching Spanish football, will want to come and work here and will do the necessary and learn the language, as difficult as that is. But, uh, Mark, it's 100% essential. Okay. Um, we're going to go now to a, a quick break. When we come back, a couple on the English Premier League. And we're back. Okay, our next question comes from a socio, Lee Allen, who says, I might never get this chance again. Interested in your thoughts of my team and Chris Wilder this season. Newly promoted, in fifth place, playing attacking football, exceeded all expectations. I believe Lee may be talking about Sheffield United. So, again, the same with uh, um, the Buffalo Soldier. I get limited amount of time to watch um, Sheffield United, but I but I have still done so. Um, our sponsors, Bet365, will often ask about promotion, relegation, big match, um, big matches which are looming. So I began to watch Wilder for the first time with about three quarters of last season gone because Bet365 wanted to know who'll be promoted. And I'm proud to say, Lee, and if you were watching that or if you listened to it, that I got it right because with about 
10, 12 matches remaining. I tipped Sheffield United to go up automatically and Leeds not to do so. I was sure of that because I felt that there was a brand of football and an energy which was less likely to trip up in you know on the in the push towards the the finishing line. I thought their momentum would mean that they would score more goals and win more points. And and lo and behold, at least on that occasion, I was right. Um, what I like very much about um, Wilder is his. Um, his man management style in that he's patently somebody with ultra clear ideas. And aside from simply communicating them, he's got that squad 100% behind him. And some of his ideas are a little bit, if not eccentric, they're things that we haven't seen for a long time in, in what the center halves are allowed to do and exactly how much cover is afforded them. Um, what the fullbacks are allowed to do. But I go beyond that. I'd say that, Right now, it feels to me as if about 85, 90% of that squad is is playing plus one football. Each of them is just a little bit above where they've been before, where perhaps even they expected to be. Now, whether that's individually Chris Wilder in one-on-one, God, I'm with you, coach, I believe everything you say, or whether it's, um, you know, an infectious environment both tactically and in training terms and in personal confidence that he's created around his squad everybody just about everybody has responded and in my opinion there are really clear examples Lise Mousse for example when he signed from Bournemouth I think raised a lot of eyebrows people weren't sure about his ability to impact in Sheffield United's Premier League campaign or or to become something more than a slightly odd bits and pieces player. And he be- he began the season as somebody who was brought on as um, a little bit hint of pace into a broken game where maybe he can stretch things and, and bring a couple of things when maybe Norwood or McGoldrick had, had run their legs off. Now, the change in him is so significant that he's been consistently starting games and either making or scoring. I would also say that if you look at the way in which, or again, in my opinion here, Lee, uh, Lundstrom and Fleck are a partnership whereby it isn't just about the hustle and the bustle. I think they work tremendously hard. I think that energy levels come March, April might be a question. But they both look really smart footballers who, in each case, are playing plus one football above where they were at, above probably where they thought they would be able to perform. And I think each of them has arrived in this Premier League season thinking, I'm not sure what's ahead of me, but I'll give it a go. And now, and and, and Lee, for some considerable weeks, they're thinking, I'm easily at this level, easily. And you'll have your favourites um, across the team. But what I noticed is that um, the press is very good. The energy is very good. There's an intensity that's very, very organised and effective. It makes, um, I think, Bramall Lane a a place whereby, and I'm not going to go out and out and say teams are intimidated to come to, but they know they're going to get an exceptional test, that it will be noisy, that the players have got ultimate confidence. And as I looked pre the 3-3 draw, um, they make a lot out of very few goals because the points at home have been, you know, 
pretty hard to come by. And when they turned over Arsenal, there is no doubt that Arsenal were willing participants in their own demise. And again, pre this game, I said, I think United, while vulnerable against Sheffield United, I think they'll react. I think that they're in a, in a dynamic where there's a greater clarity of how they want to play. There's a greater energy. There's a pocket full of players um, who are beginning to respond under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And again, I felt that I got that right in the way that the, the game originally um, started in that United were unperturbed by going 1-0 down and, and played with real conviction and energy. The, the, the crispness of the movement and the passing, it was dynamic and it, and it began to threaten to make Sheffield United look like nothing more than a hard-working team, which is not true, I don't think. I think they're pretty smart and I think they challenge you. I think they ask you strategic questions and therefore, you know, it's thrilling the comeback, absolutely thrilling. Um... McBurney, it's nice to see a guy that wears a Scotland jersey beginning to make an impact. But across the board, um, I, I'm under, I've got no illusions that we're seeing a group of players who are tremendously well-led. And although Chris Wilder looks gruff and sort of don't cross me on a Friday night in a dark alley, I, I think that that is very, very far from the product of what the players are getting on the training ground. I think it's some. I think it's to, to me. I've always loved somebody who passionately adores the club or the team that he's working for. That's the case with Wilder, and I think that they're giving us a something that's very rarely talked about. But it is talked about in this um, podcast. I think they're giving us entertainment, um, whereby I often talk to talk about who are the players that would when I'm not working and I'm not in that country, who or if I'm not in that city, who would make me turn on the television and watch. And while individual footballers at Sheffield United won't make me go, God, I can't miss him. I will want to watch them. And Sheffield United as a team, I will want to watch their performance to try and understand it, to try and see what they do right and wrong. And I can't say that of quite a number of teams in the Premier League. And therefore, in summary, Lee, baby, I'm enjoying it. Up the blades. Super Simon Stainrod. Okay, the final question for this month's Q&A comes from our sponsors, Bet365. They ask, is the top four in the English Premier League decided already? There's a seven-point gap between Chelsea in fourth and then the easily predictable 5-6-7 of Wolves, Sheffield United and Burnley. The, the top four of the Premier League fascinates me and has done for a long time. And I, I'm unwilling to believe that in December it, it's done and dusted. I, I I try not to pat myself on the back, but at the beginning of the season, working in the Bet365 studio, I pointed out that we were going to see a Chelsea whereby, I mean, I was lucky I'd, I'd, I'd attended their, their summer training camp. I'd talked to coaches and players. And I said, we're going to see intensity. We're going to see speed of transition of the ball. That's the things that they, all the coaches, Edwards, uh, Jody Morris, and Lampard believe is lacking and that they can adjust immediately. And I think that that's that Chelsea have punched the weight of my uh, prediction. Um, again, I was not the only one in the Bet365 studio to say Leicester can threaten the top four. And I don't see them fading easily, but uh, I'll go this far and say that uh, I am yet, irrespective of their, their league positions, I'm yet to write off uh, Spurs or Manchester United completely. The Manchester United one will make United fans guffaw, uh, which is an old-fashioned word, but it means laughing very loudly at my expense. 
Um, but I think that there's the potential there. I, I still believe that though there are gaps in the squad, I think that the best United eleven is a threatening one. They're the dark horses. I think Spurs are different, different kettle of fish. I've been vociferously critical of Jose Mourinho across recent years, but I have consistently used a phrase. I would like to be able to respect him more for his achievements. I've always, always said that. And for the moment, we're looking at a different Mourinho. We're looking at somebody who seems to be the better for his rest, who looks younger, slimmer, looks calmer. And it may be that his talents flood out. I think, again, that the Spurs squad, particularly when there are additions at Christmas, and there will be, is sufficient from now, from this standing start, to, to have a thought about challenging that top four. And therefore, I don't think it's done. I hugely enjoy the battle between City and Liverpool. It's one of the most thrilling things in European football for many years. Um, I enjoy watching uh, Chelsea and I enjoy watching Leicester very much indeed. As we speak, Brendan Rodgers has said he will come on to the big interview, which is very pleasing because he's a terrific, articulate football commentator. Arsenal, no chance, forget it. The rest of the pack, I have my doubts. United, dark horses, yeah, I'll give you. And I think Spurs are a threat. So, done and dusted? No. And that's our show. Thank you to all the socios who sent in their questions. We'll be back to you next month for more. For now, Graham Hunter in Madrid, shortly to be on a train to Barcelona. Thank you. Don't call me shortly. And, and socios, if you happen to have questions that are bubbling under and enough of you throw them in, we might give you a bonus Q&A long before next month. Stay in touch. Enjoy the big interview. Enjoy your football. And thanks for being there. We are unified by our love of footy. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.